Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Wool. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by my company, Bull Realty. For custom asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com or reach out to me directly. My email is michael at bullrealty.com. Well, we have a great show for you today. One of my favorite economists in the world is here, Casey Conway. He's the lead economist for CCIM. And uh, it's always interesting, KC, to hear what you have to say and, and what's, what's going on, really going on in the world and the economy and in real estate and what to expect moving forward. And that's what we're going to cover. And I think the first thing I'd like to start off with it, I think my audience is curious uh, on your thoughts, uh, KC, is, you know, the Feds has announced that they, they're planning some hikes, interest rate hikes. What do you think might happen there? And what do you think the impact could be? Yeah, it's the central point of focus. And remember, this is the same Fed that six to nine months ago, well, nine months ago said there really is inflation. And six months ago, they said, well, it's kind of transitory. Then they said by the end of summer, it's kind of going to be transitory longer. Then the end of the year, it was, okay, forget transitory. It's here. It's, uh, it, it's embedded. And, uh, and remember, a year ago, they said, look, no rate hikes, no change in the balance sheet till 2023 or 2024. What in the world were they looking at? Because you could see all this coming at us. So uh, if you set, set up the first quarter, they have a meeting here this month. They have none in February and then in March. If they don't move in rate hikes here in January, I think they're so far behind the curve. They will have totally lost the battle And if they wait till March. Um, my forecast is four to five, maybe six rate hikes this year. Whoa. And one of them could be a 50 basis point hike. If they wait till March, the steam that we have, we just got the new CPI data, 7% year over year. Highest since I was starting college 40 years ago, um, and, and they're not looking in the right the right places. If you look at whether it's you know go to the grocery store and look at what's happening, they'll get used car prices at 50 percent. Look at energy prices at 50 percent. How you can't see these things is really beyond my perception. Mm -hmm. And you know, look at housing and rents, and uh, you know we have 148 of our 150 multifamily markets that are at 96 percent occupancy and running five percent rent increases. How can you miss inflation? So I think it is going to be the story. And what concerns me is just in the past week, we've seen a 25 basis point movement up in mortgage rates, and we haven't even had the first rate hike. So yeah. wait till we have the first rate hike. Yeah. Wow. Well, Casey, what do you think the impact will be on commercial real estate values? It seems like sometimes I hear that, ah, oh, the market's kind of built in some increases that have been so low that it's expected. What do you think? Yeah, so I remind being a scarred third generation appraiser, go back to the fundamentals. So the first thing that concerns me, well, first thing I'll say is generally commercial real estate does well in an inflation environment. Go back to the 70s, it goes up uh, because the replacement of any other office building or whatnot is going to cost more. So generally it does pretty well. Rents tend to go up. You get CPI escalations. So if CPI goes up, you get more rent escalations. But here's my concern, is that expenses are outrunning revenue or rent growth in most commercial property types, even industrial right now. And so if your expenses outrun your revenue or rent increase, and then you get interest rate hikes, which is going to have an impact on cap rates, and they don't continue to compress, and they go up, what happens to values? They've got to correct. And we've had an incredible run. Last year, we had 66% increase in self-storage. <laughs> when has that ever happened? <laughs> um, we know where we put their, everybody put their stuff from New York and California that moved down to the south. Um, you had industrial at 40%. 
You know who number three was? Yeah. It was a tie with retail and lodging mm. up over 30%. And the bottom coming up was multifamily, just 25%. These are unheard of increases that don't happen every year. I don't think the market's adjusted to that. So I think we need to be very careful, sharpen our pencil, look at our DCF, do sensitivities that what happens if expenses outgrow rents for the next two or three years? And then what happens, what's gonna happen naturally in the debt cycle be more debt service coverage required to get debt, it's going to require lower loan to value, more equity in the deal that's more expensive. So I think there's going to be a lot of pressures. And the real question is going to be, where can I outrun inflation geographically and by property type? Yeah. And part of those increasing costs are in materials, you know, the supply and the availability of construction materials and all types of, of materials. And then also your rising labor cost. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think about those two issues moving forward and your impact next year? You're always year? so wise. You have your crystal ball going. So mm -hmm. you're exactly right on mm -hmm. the construction cost. And don't think of just new construction, but think about moving a tenant because they got to get sheetrock, they got to get laborers, they got to redo the, the studs and all. So the resource I follow is ENR, Engineering News Record. And so back in the spring, they were telling us that they have a, they have a construction cost and a building cost. So the construction is just the materials and the building is materials plus labor. So each of those were going up about four to six percent last last spring. They ended the year up um, eight and 15 percent. And it's not just the cost of the materials, it's if you can get them and how can you absorb the delay. So let's say you have a construction loan that's got a two year term on it and now it's going to take three years to get everything done. And then the labor, your labor might show up. But the laborer says, you know, I got another job down the road. He's going to pay me 20% more. I'll stay and finish this job, but you got to raise me 20 or 25%. So the labor numbers are off the charts. Uh, if you can get trucking, try to get heavy equipment to do the site work. Uh, our REIT, we try to develop a few buildings uh, here, and we just can't get the site work. Can't mm -hmm. get the heavy equipment greater. You can't get all that stuff. So you're exactly right. If, if you're doing construction or you're moving a tenant, my warning to the banks is you better be paying attention to your construction loans because you're going to have cost overruns and who's going to pay the bill. And the bank's supposed to make the developer put some in, but that's not the way it always works. Might this increase in uh, construction materials for, for supplies, the supply chain issue, might that be subsiding here? Might we see a decrease in any of these costs? <laughs> Yeah, not yet. But I'll, I'll, the encouraging news is if you're in the if you're in the southern United States, so if you're in the where you have Gulf Coast ports and come around the south, Florida port, Everglades, Savannah, Charleston, we're actually doing pretty well. We have the rail connection. You know, the rail bone is connected to the port bone. <laughs> um, our you know here in Savannah, where we we set a record, we're going to surpass New York in container activity when the numbers come in for the end of 2021, which will make Savannah the busiest container port on the East Coast. It'll basically be the LA of the East Coast. Charleston's the fastest growing port. Port Everglades is crushing it. Uh, port of Mobile is going to be renamed the Port of Alabama. It could surpass Charleston. It's been a completely redone uh, port um, from bulk cargo to containers. So it could surpass Charleston. So we have all of this redundancy for supply chain. We can have stuff come out of Panama Canal into the Gulf and come into our region. Uh, Mexico provides a lot of components. And then on the East Coast, you know, we're doing fine. Even New York, which is losing ground to Georgia, because everybody moved down here and they you know, ordered their golf clubs and stuff down here rather than up there. Um, New York was up 28%. So we're, we're seeing on the East Coast, we have logistics infrastructure that makes it work better. The West Coast has a lot of complicated problems. And the biggest one is not that union labor is not working six, seven days a week. It's that you can't stage the stuff on the port and move it inland to the Inland Empire because all the warehouses are full. 
and Prologis, I like looking at earnings, Prologis in the third quarter earnings said we have almost a billion square feet of warehouse space and we're 97% plus occupied. We have no room to put anything in a warehouse. Yeah. So until you can unpack that whole problem, we don't have that problem here in the South. Yeah. So Texas all the way through the mid-Atlantic. And do you think, Casey, that the rising rents in industrial and in multifamily, uh, both of those uh, markets, as you mentioned earlier, have been just crazy rent increases over the last several years. Um, you think you could t- that should continue? Might it continue? It's yeah, like- so industrial, I'm very bullish. You know, look, we're going to build 350 million square feet again this year. We could build 500 million square feet a year for the next three years and still not catch up because where we're building this new e commerce infrastructure and warehouses, it's not where it was before. It's not in the Inland Empire, it's not on the West Coast. It's here in what I call the Golden Triangle, the Great Lakes down to Texas and across you know, the Southeast. So industrial, I'm very bullish. And you know, I've got an industrial REIT, we're selling it right now to um, ILPT at a record four point something cap rate and almost you know, 200 bucks a square foot, unheard of. Wow. And they're all in secondary cities. So these aren't you know, New York and big cities, most of them are in you know, Augusta or Ogden, Utah or you know, smaller markets, Huntsville. And, um, you know, the, there's no pushback at all. They just say, just get me the doggone warehouse. And I don't care about rent per square foot. I don't care about cap rate. Because if I get it wrong on my supply chain, that could cost me 20%. Where my real estate's only like 3% of my total operation cost. Mm-hmm. So I don't care. So I'm very bullish on industrial and what we need to build. And then on multifamily, think about the, the, the two most current statistics right now. 148 of the 150 largest multifamily markets are at 96% occupancy. That tells you you got the, the demand to basically continue to raise rents and to continue to build product. And we are going to build more, we're going to deliver more apartments in 2022 than we have at any point since 1987. Over 400, apologize for that, over 450,000. Uh, units is what we're going to deliver this year. Not yeah. since 1987. So multifamily and um, industrial very strong, and I wouldn't throw you know retail or, or lodging out. Um, those those aren't those aren't terrible. Well, let's talk about retail and get your opinion there because it seems like retail sales we're doing pretty well. Where are we now? So we got uh, retail sales numbers today that were horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were they were down 1.9 percent. But we have to. You know, it always amazes me that the analysts and the investors in stocks can't connect two dots. Mm-hmm. So what were, we, what were we told last September and October that changed our behavior this year in retail sales? Buying early. Santa <laughs> is not going to have anything going at the, warehouse, at the, at the you know, warehouse factories with the elves in November and December. So you better order everything now or you're not getting anything for Christmas. So we all ordered early. So we got all of our orders in October, whatever. So that's having an impact as December numbers. In the December numbers, the biggest decline was online ordering because they all were record numbers in October. So that's part of it. The other thing that's affecting is, put that aside, you can't get inventory. You can't get a new car. It's hard to get furniture. It's hard to get appliances. So if you don't have those things to sell, they don't flow into the retail sales number. So part of it is you just don't have the goods that are coming in that are being manufactured. And then what we really did need, we ordered last October. Yeah. When you look in your crystal ball and you look at, you said, hey, the ports are starting to free up. We're starting to get the supply um, chain kind of working a little bit better. Are we going to be able to get those cars and and get those furniture faster toward the end of the year? When does it free up? So a lot of it's going to depend not so much on us and how we're managing uh, COVID and Omicron. It's going to be how China is. So China is third largest port. uh, I'll pronounce it wrong, Dailin. 
Um, so they just shut down. They had two COVID cases, two, in the whole port city. And they shut the whole thing down. And they put five workers in jail for five years because they took their mask off for a minute. That's how Whoa. ridiculous it is. Well, what do they make in that port? So in China, we got to remember, all the manufacturing occurs on the port. In the United States, we have everything manufactured inland, and we ship it to the port. So when you shut down the port, you shut down manufacturing. Well, what do they manufacture? Intel chips, mm. what we need. So I'm really worried. You got to understand what's going on in South Korea. You got to understand what's going on in China and their ports. And then these geopolitical tensions and, you know, maybe like a Seinfeld episode, no chips for you. We don't like your behavior. <laughs> so it sounds like you're suggesting inflation is going to be here for some, some period of time now. I think this is a two or three cycle. I've had a thesis since the beginning of last year that mm -hmm. this was shaping up to be a 1970s style mm -hmm. inflationary cycle. And the reasons were something that we hadn't seen in four decades. So first one was rapid deficit spending. What, what did we have going in the 70s that was rapid deficit spending? Vietnam War. If you read the headlines from the late 60s going to the 70s, they almost look like exactly what we're saying today in our deficit spending. Number two, you had uh, Nixon take us off the gold standard. So they devalued the dollar. Well, we're devaluing the hell out of the dollar right now. Mm -hmm. Number three, Nixon said, I have a great solution to stop inflation. Price controls. What's the Nixon's price control trick today? It's the Fed's balance sheet. Any mortgage-backed security, any 10-year treasury that won't clear at the price they want, they go buy it and keep it down. Now they're saying, oh, we got to pull back on that. So if the Fed pulls back on his balance sheet, guess what we have to have? We have to have greater fool theory. Who's the greater fool that's going to pay that kind of yield number uh, that the Fed has been paying? Is it going to be China? Is it going to be Europe? Is it going to be institutional? And I don't think it is. So I think we're going to get real market discovery on a 10-year treasury and mortgage-backed securities. And I think we'll very quickly see 3 4% on the 10-year treasury by this year. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last thing is we had an energy shock. We had an oil embargo and an energy shock. What's the equivalent of the energy shock on our economy today? Supply chain shock. And so you put all those together, we haven't had that kind of convergence in four decades, and they're sitting and staring us right in the face. And that's, that's going to take years to fix. And the increase in gas prices, right? Yeah. It's so here we were energy independent, and we had the lowest gas and energy prices, and now we're not energy independent, and mm -hmm. we're up 50% over a year, even though it's pulled back. And we can let Europe and Russia have pipelines, but we can't. It's just, you know, you almost just wonder if we'd gone into... Uh, you know, went to sleep, had a really bad nightmare, and maybe we'll wake up and all this will go away. <laughs> I don't know. Especially, maybe the midterm elections will save us. <laughs> especially uh, COVID. Yeah. <laughs> right. So where are the opportunities today? Yeah. So I think the big one is you ask yourself, if inflation is the problem, mm -hmm. where can I outrun it? And there are certain, there are certain geographies uh, that you can outrun it, and there are also certain property types. So uh, you know, I wouldn't be long on self-storage. It just went up 66%. I might sell that right now really quickly. But I think industrial is there. I think multifamily is there. I think leisure hotel. And I think secondary markets. And one of the best things, if you really want all the, you know, you got to read it a little bit. But I stole your copy out in the lobby. But Emerging Trends 2022 report, this is one of their best ever. I, mm -hmm. I was at Equitable when they started these. And if you look at, they've got a couple of categories where they look at overall rankings and then they look at where investors are saying they're going to put their money and where they're going to develop. And what they're saying is eight of the 12 top markets for where overall the ranking are, they're all south. Mm -hmm. And the other four are the Intermountain region. They're Utah, they're Idaho, they're Arizona, they're Colorado. And then when you look at where they want to put, um, where investors want to go, again, it's the same thing. It's the south, it's Texas, it's the southeast. Um, it's not the West Coast, and it's the Intermountain region. But here's the warning. 
and this is really neat in here, when they say, okay, where would you develop? Where would you go take new money and develop new product? There wasn't one market that got a strong rating. That's the first time in the history of them doing this. So it was back close to average, and the reason is, how do I budget? How do I budget in, in line up labor? How do I budget costs that are going up 15% a year? How do I work with a construction lender that says, you can't have that kind of budget, you can't have that kind of cost overrun. And then when you do have the cost overrun, you gotta go get an appraisal, what do you think the appraiser's gonna say? My last number is still good. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so I think it's, it's a geography, I think it's still industrial, I think multifamily is strong. And there are a couple of others that people have overlooked. Manufactured housing. We only permit 100,000 lots. We have demand for 500,000. That's part of the affordable housing play. Um, for rent subdivisions. You look at entities like American Homes for Rent and just massively from Texas down through Florida where they're building these for rent subdivisions. Um, American Homes for Rent, I just visited their stuff in Central Florida and I looked at their national numbers on their, on their earnings report. They're at 97% occupancy on every subdivision nationwide, and they're wow. the largest. Wow. So there's niches like that. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's opportunities to build on the carnage. I think we're going to see a lot of closed auto dealerships, the whole Carvana, true car model. It's more efficient. Uh, what do we do with, with auto dealership land that's on good commercial arterials? What do we do with closed branch banks? Can we make those mini offices? Uh, I think suburban office is an opportunity over urban office, closer to the workforce, don't have a commute. Um, so those are where I'm, I'm seeing some of the opportunities. Those are great tips. What about tips related to rising interest rates for folks with existing properties? Yeah, so if you've, if you've got an asset you really need, you've got two challenges. The first one is, wow, I've, I've had a good run. Should I sell it and cash in? And then you talk to your accountant and he says, oh my God, you got massive capital gains and we're not gonna be able to find a 1031 for you. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really hard to find those. So you're really gonna have to weigh your tax situation mm -hmm. and, and wonder, okay, I've come up this far, what happens if I come down 25% or gosh forbid 40 or 50%, um, is that you know worse than paying capital gains and moving on? And then look at what's going on in Washington and what they wanna do with changing capital gains and tax structures and all that. So I think that's the real problem. If you've got built up stuff, our, our Monmouth rig that we're selling, you know, our, mm -hmm. most of us, our stock was around a nine or $10 basis and we're selling at 21. Mm -hmm. And it's not a tax exchange deal, you know, or, or a, you know, yeah. a, a stock trade deal. So a lot of capital gains, it wipes out really everything I made in five years. Mm -hmm. So everything I made goes to the tax man. So I think that's the big problem is really balancing your gain versus your tax situation. And what do I do or can I do a 1031? Yeah. So consider selling. I guess also consider uh, creating some long-term debt at today's interest rates, right? Yeah, I would say, look, at if you if you have a loan that's maturing this year and even into next year, really look at the defeasance analysis. Mm -hmm. You may be so much better paying a little defeasance, you know, even though you're not within that one-year period. Pay that defeasance and, and refinance because I, I, don't, I don't think in my lifetime we're going to see rates this good and underwriting this good. I, yeah. just, I just don't think we are. Yeah, you know, we, we're brokers and we do a lot of business around the southeast and we're seeing some sellers that are, hey, they're going ahead and paying the defeasance uh, to sell at these kind of low interest rates where there's a lot of supply of uh, equity in the market looking for deals. There's also a lot of debt at lo really low rates still today. So yeah. uh, people are paying the defeasance and, and moving on and taking some chips off the table in a lot of cases. Yeah, and then think of, you know, look, think of leveraging. This is one of those times where you think really seriously about the CMBS market. Mm -hmm. So if I can go in and take an asset and, you know, put it, you know, into a single, you know, LLC, special purpose asset, and I can leverage out tax-free the debt, and I can put that money to work somewhere else, put it in a trust for the kids or something else, 
I, that's how I harvest tax-free. And I had clients early in my career back in the 90s where we did exactly that. We helped them figure out how to harvest equity through securitization, go buy, upgrade better properties, and not pay any tax bill. Yeah. So call you and help get the mortgage stuff done. There we go. Casey, what would you leave our audience with to think about for 2022? So I would say, you know, this is, a, if, you, if you haven't been out and had Chinese food yet, you know, and look at the Zodiac calendar, this is the year of the tiger. And the tiger is the year of extremes and extremities. And I think uh, it occurs every 12 years. So let's go back 1974. Oh, my God. Watergate, then the start of inflation. Then you go forward to 1986, the change of the tax law, the SNL crisis. Then go to 1998, Y2K, the tech, the tech wreck, 98 to 2010. Oh, my God. Have we forgotten about the Great Recession? I think this darn Chinese tiger is pretty accurate when he shows up. And I would, I would be a little worried about the extremes. So I think go back to your Boy Scout, Girl Scout days. Be prepared. Um, don't, be, don't wait like some of these analysts are that say, wow, what? I didn't know the Fed was going to raise rates. I thought they told me they would only do two or three, and they've done five or six. Be prepared. They're, they move when they move. It's never less than eight, and it's typically eight to twelve yeah. over a two-year period. So I think you need to budget. What does the impact of that mean? If I have debt, debt that needs to mature. If I have a construction loan that's coming due, I really need to be working with my mortgage broker or my debt uh, expert to help me figure that out. And then on the purchase side. Um, go south and go in, inland in the mountains. Don't don't go to. I wouldn't be buying anything on the, uh, you know, on the west coast maybe except for the inland empire. But then you got to pay two percent cap rate. So where's the greater fool to get you out of that? Um, but we really look at our that golden triangle, the Great Lakes, which is our fourth coast, all the way down to Texas. You look at our Gulf Coast. You look at our East Coast ports. Um, I'd look at markets that are connected. Um, you know, really what I call the you know the hip bone to the leg bone to the foot bone the port bone to the rail bone to the logistics infrastructure bone. I'll leave one last other one, and it's bullish on us here in the southeast. There's a corridor known as the I-85 corridor. Look at it from, if you haven't driven it, come down, drive from Charlotte to the Port of Mobile. It is absolutely incredible. The land prices are half of what they are on the I-75 corridor, going down to Savannah and going down to Florida. Um, Hyundai has said they're going to put over $7 billion to work in that corridor. We are picking up major site selection entity after another one. Um, in Montgomery, Alabama, they just announced an inland port, so they're going to copy the Georgia and South Carolina model. you got Amazon, you got FedEx, you've got automobile manufacturers, and Hyundai and Mercedes have declared that the 85 corridor is going to be their EV uh, vehicle manufacturing uh, epicenter. So what's going to happen on the 85 quarter, if you haven't studied it, go drive it. Your rest of your hair will fall out this year. It will be extreme. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like uh, you know, your REIT uh, is taking some chips off the table now uh, while the getting's good, right? Yeah, we're bummed. It was a great 53-year-old REIT started by, yeah. you know, the father and the sons that ran it, and they did a great job. And, you know, you, you, you have a good dividend. You're all triple net lease. You're what everybody wants. Mm -hmm. And they offer you a price that your stockholders don't say no to. Yeah. yeah good, good gig ends. Yeah, I've seen some really smart long-term investors uh, selling some properties today right now while the market is so strong and, and the lower interest rates. Because one thing it's kind of strange to look at right now is, is exit cap rates, right? If you're going to look at a five or seven year hold, you know, what kind of cap rate are you going to forecast? Yeah. Don't ask an appraiser. <laughs> ask a CCIM because yeah. they've done the investment management, yeah. not just the rear view mirror approach. I mean, yeah. I really worry that the CRE values is going to be a tough one this year. Mm -hmm. It's whether you're dealing with a debt person or you're dealing with a transaction, 
you know, the equity in institutional money is trying to justify to an investment committee, why would we pay, so like our REIT, why would you pay 4.1% on a cap rate for all non, you know, secondary market assets, mm -hmm. whether FedEx or triple net or 20 year, it, you know, it's the same stuff you pay 2% cap rate for in, in LA or the, you know, Long Beach. Um, so they're trying to wrestle with that and they're finding it a hard time to get appraisers that understand it. And then on the bank side, they're just, they're just sheep. They have no clue at all. Uh, their internal appraisal departments are just, you know, order it fast and cheap, get it in. Don't try to adjust the number because the regulators might criticize you because you adjusted it in some way. Mm -hmm. So they're looking in the rearview mirror. Appraisals are going to be really tough. Spend some time if you're doing a transaction to really interview and, and think about who is a good valuation expert. Because you get the number wrong and you put all this due diligence money up, it's not pretty. Yeah. KC, great information as usual, sir. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, got the new, new coat, went down to Miami. And yeah. uh, so the red shoe now has red shoes, but we also have the jacket, the Miami jacket. Looking sharp. Looking sharp. Well, thank you for joining us around the country. Uh, let us know what you think. Thank you for sharing the show, and thank you for being with us. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Buxton. Take leasing, site selection, and due diligence to the next level. Make the right decisions with on-demand mobile data. Visit BuxtonCo.com. By Bull Realty. For proven commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions, contact me. My email is Michael at BullRealty.com. By Commercial Agent Success. Expert level commercial real estate broker training. Cloud Access One, up to 21 one-hour videos. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Thank you for reviewing, subscribing, and sharing America's commercial real estate show.